Good morning, this is Dave Peterson with Heroin Truth. Today I want to offer some observations both for families and for clinicians. I'm referring to clinical interventionists of different type who work with individuals and families independently as well as in agencies or organizations where more orthodoxy is required of the counselor and families where there's an established orthodoxy about how to approach a problem like a loved one, a member of the family, severely compromised by heroin. In many cases, families go through the loss of much, much mental stability or tranquility over the addiction process that they witness. Many of them lose hundreds, thousands, and tens of thousands of dollars to theft. Something I occasionally say is, how many big screen televisions must a family lose before they say, enough is enough, you can't be in the house, or you can't have keys to the house. In some cases, I've worked with families who have lost 10, 12 television sets before they would even consider setting a boundary about how much freedom of movement their loved one, compromised by heroin, can move about in the household or the household budget, for that matter. So I want to offer both for families and clinicians, and I'll point out the distinctions as I go, the phenomenon of Stockholm Syndrome and how I see it over and over in my work as a clinical interventionist. As some of you may know, it was in the early 70s, 1973 in fact, when a pair of robbers robbed a bank in Sweden that involved a multi-day captivity. The abductors, or robbers, kept four hostages over the period of several days. And the phenomenon that occurred that has been listed or ranked as Stockholm Syndrome is the far more than becoming equated and sympathetic with their abductors, the hostages became champions for their abductors. When it came down to it, the national and state police were not able to make a case with the witness of the victims because they refused to testify in their belief that the behavior was justified because of the humanity that they saw in their abductor. In fact, it's known now that through the FBI database that in any kind of captive, however brief or however severe it is, 8% of victims achieve the, the conditions or the criteria that are recognized as Stockholm Syndrome. Far beyond being sympathetic with the abductor or abductors, the victims become champions and they work with them to deflect law enforcement and to help the successful completion of the mission, whether it is terrorism or opportunism, such as in a bank robbery that happened in Stockholm, Sweden, in 1973, 35 years ago. Another phenomenon that was named that talks about this curious transference, counter-transference thing that happens between abductors and victims uh, came to be called the Lima Syndrome, which was an event in 1996 when militants took hundreds of hostages at the Japanese embassy and over the course of time, a matter of hours rather than days, as in Stockholm, they became sympathetic to their victims and they released them in the hundreds. And these things have two really valuable insight perspectives to offer us when we look at this phenomenon that occurs between people who are victimized by 
other people's behavior. And the first one that I want to refer to is the counterintuitive versus the intuitive instincts that any of us have. And I'll offer a mother or a father, for starters, of, let's say, a 22-year-old daily heroin user whose active addiction has reached the severity of theft from family, violent threat, in some cases violence towards family, um, obvious neglect, a form of abuse for minor dependent children who either live in the households as sons or daughters of their own or nieces or nephews. And it is intuitive for, in most cases, a mother to always look for the softest, easiest way to cover up a theft if they know that their son or daughter is stolen from an aunt or an uncle and not talk about it for fear that they would be prosecuted, charged and and held accountable and through criminal courts for their actions. It obviously stages setting a new standard and deceiving, in a way, the addict who, fully human, recognizably compromised by imbalances in brain chemistry, poor prescriber behavior. Those doctors got my kid addicted. They did not ask to be addicted. They had an injury in sports or something similar, and it was a path that they were tripped onto through no volition of their own. To turn that around and demand accountability is counterintuitive. And to the extent that the demand for accountability and personal responsibility leads into being restricted and entry into and exit from family funds through online accounts or certificates of deposit or the kitchen or the living room, that counterintuitive decision to set the boundary and say enough is enough is discounted today. There's a sick, I will say even sinister, overreaction to the famous phrase that emerged in the 70s called tough love, as if genuine love cannot be at the same time assertive and insistent on people accepting responsibility for their actions. So in this case, I'm talking about moving towards counterintuition, away from the natural instinct to protect the loved one from immediate harm, all the way down to overdose because of injecting uh, unregulated drugs. I'm not speaking against safe injection sites or clean needles or anything of the sort, but out of context, those are enabling measures that we have to be very careful about in the way that we do them. The other thing that I want to talk about for a moment is the parallel of orthodox and unorthodox practice, and this is specifically for clinicians. Many clinicians that I see over the course of years, particularly the recent years since um, mid-teens, 2014-15, or when our fatal heroin overdoses and astronomical uh, prescribed medication misuse, that to walk away or decline because of a lack of specialty is a natural occurrence. I see it and I understand it. What I am doing is appealing to clinicians to use orthodox measures to accomplish things that are unorthodox in the current thinking of addictions treatment. By this, I mean inviting a family to join a psychotherapeutic alliance. I call it psychotherapeutic coaching, where a member signs a consent treat. There are many licensed behavioral clinicians who have had wonderful years in practice in both 
private and an organized agency organization service delivery systems. And never once has anybody signed a consent being informed of the training and the credentials and the fees and the methods used of the provider. And I would argue this, that an independent provider has the opportunity to act more orthodox in establishing that psychotherapeutic alliance with the individuals who are bereft, they're lost, they are, to get back to the other point, counterintuitively hostage. They don't go for an overnight for personal recreation or go on vacations. They stay closer to home out of authentic love, at the same time suspending their own self-care, declining to recognize or uphold their own rights as individuals. And so goes the story. I do offer, rather than enabling, disempowering as a way to describe what that does for the compromised family member, the one who's using heroin, the decision to not demand accountability, the decision to not participate in the system fully, including criminal courts and family courts and the like, is one to say, that's okay, she cannot, and to perpetuate the myth that to a great extent is what really entraps the individual and in a parallel process, as I'm describing it, entraps the family to, it takes hostage, it enraptures, it bewitches, and confounds the family as well as the individual about this discomforting, frightening phenomenon that increases with intensity and severity over the course of time. Having said that, licensed clinicians have the opportunity to engage families to begin thinking about their own health as an important facet of how they empower and less so disempower the person that they love whose active addiction to heroin and other opioids is getting in the way of all of their lives, not just their loved one. I will offer this also that heroin provides a lens, provides a focus on the end game because over and over and over in the rhetoric that I hear, and I call it rhetoric because it is as I perceive it, well, she's not a an addict. She's not shooting up behind dumpsters in the alleys. This is a good person. I would offer this in the way of a redirect, that the people who are shooting up heroin behind dumpsters are human beings, and they are good people too. And there is a point where we must empower them. One of the most effective ways that I've encountered over 26 years of credentialed mental health work in the community and the communities at large is to help the family to claim their space as unconditionally loving but conditionally supporting family members. Over time, this problem that we face today as opioid crisis is going to take a much greater toll until intelligent and decisive action is taken by families that can't accomplish it without a psychotherapeutic alliance. So many of them aren't getting there I have family members who beautifully continue to publicly spread the message while grieving the loss of a son or a daughter. It's true the health care or public health statistics show that the number of male fatal overdoses outstrips the number of female fatal overdoses, even though both are still continuing to rise at this juncture. 
at the end of April in 2018. Think about it. I'm appealing to you families to stop and reflect about how you are influenced and how you make every decision play by play based on the values that you were raised in, which do not include condoning and allowing perpetual ill health. That I'm talking about a response that appeals for and demands proper action, getting the right kind of care. It's not available instantaneously or in fullness in our current healthcare industry's configuration. Managed care is managed by those who must maintain a profit. And that gray spot between being in the red or the black is only going to be filled by families who are seeking and accepting guidance, at least at the beginning of the process. It is time to change. This is not an infomercial for tough love. Let me say that over again. This is not an infomercial for tough love. It's a promotional advertisement for families to take care of themselves so that they will be able to take care of their loved ones. All the way down to their daily hygiene if paralysis or other life-limiting conditions result from opioid use that is disordered. Hi, this is Dave Peterson, and this is Heroin Truth. Leave a question for the show or book a personal consultation at 719-470-2929 or visit my website at intrepidinterventions.com to leave a typed message.